Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Science, exercise, nutrition, health, energy, passion. One year, no beer. This is the One Year No Beer podcast, where you will find all the latest tips, tricks, and hacks for a way to live better. Hi, guys, this is Jen on the One Year No Beer podcast. Welcome to today's episode where I'll be speaking to Kanchan Koya, who is a food as medicine practitioner and health coach working with clients to help them achieve optimal health, manage and prevent disease with science-based food and lifestyle changes. Armed with her training from the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and her PhD in Molecular Biology from Harvard Medical School, she elevates the health of families with science and flavor. She recently completed her 90-day alcohol-free challenge with us, and today she will share her experience and shed lights on the science behind why alcohol can be particularly problematic for women, and generally why she decided to reset her relationship with alcohol, given what she knows about health and longevity. Without further ado, Kanchan Koya. Alrighty, so welcome Kanchan, and uh, thank you so much for taking your time to uh, to to come on this call with me. Um, Thank you for having me. It's really an honor. I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts. I'm a huge fan and it's a bit of a pinch me moment to be on myself. Well, that is very exciting to hear. I mean, um, I've obviously done a bit of back, back work. It was, what do you call it? A little of um, um, some research on you as well. And uh, you are quite the personality and I'm very excited to be on this call with you. So I'm not going to be talking too much. I'm just going to try and throw some questions your way and then hopefully you can kind of take over because you have a experience with you know health and food and stuff but you also have experience with the one year know be a challenge personally so um so much to pick your brain with but i like to introduce uh, my guests to our audience a little bit more so how about we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself like where in the world can we find you right now yeah, so right now I live in New York City in Brooklyn. Um, I love it, but I'm originally from India. I grew up in India for the first 18 years of my life, and I came over to the U.S. to study for undergrad and grad school, and I've kind of stayed here ever since. I've been now in the U.S. longer than I lived in India, so it's one of those, like, I have two homes and my heart is in two places. <laughs> but yeah, I, um, you know, I, I'm, I consider myself um, a health and wellness educator, I have a PhD, which I think is really wonderful, but so much of the interesting science that's done in the world of research kind of never sees the light of day when it comes to the common man. And so I really see, or woman, so I really see my job as being a translator of exciting cutting edge science and research and helping people leverage that information for optimal health. Yeah. I mean, wow. (laughs) And you said you have a PhD, and and uh, Kanchan she has a PhD for no less than um, the Harvard, um, the very uh, affluent Harvard Medical School. So I mean, she knows what she's talking about here. So we're I think we're going to get some really good information and intel. So 
um, when when you got involved, when you studied, and what you know the, the whole the science of spices and stuff. When when did that like catch your interest at the the very first for yourself? Yeah, so I grew up in India where spices are kind of part and parcel of the everyday life. Every Indian family has a spice box. We put it in everything, three meals a day. We kind of don't even think about it. But it turns out that if you look ancestrally, even in the Indian culture, spices were revered as medicine, as food as medicine for centuries. And so, you know, every Indian family uses them and knows at the back of their mind that they have these incredibly powerful health benefits. And so I grew up with that kind of wisdom just imparted to me by my grandmother, my aunts, my, my mom, my family. And then I came to the US and I went to Harvard Medical School, like you said, to do my PhD in DNA repair and cancer biology. And my lab started studying the health enhancing effects, particularly the cancer fighting effects of turmeric and the compound curcumin in turmeric. So I think that was one of those aha moments for me where everything sort of connected. And I was like, whoa, like all this ancient wisdom around Ayurveda and traditional medicine is now coming to fruition in the modern scientific realm. And I think that planted a seed for me that, you know, maybe there is a room to educate and inspire people to really look at these natural ingredients as prevention, as medicine. And then fast forward, I became a mother, started giving my son spices to add flavor and health benefits to his food. And that's when my platform Spice Spice Baby was born. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you see, like you say, it's become, people are more and more interested these days in, in the alternative or maybe not necessarily the medical routes. So people are looking into the, the healthier. And I know that turmeric, I mean, it's um, it's kind of exploded. It's, it's everywhere. You can even go to the local coffee shops here in, in Edinburgh and get a turmeric latte. I'm That's not, wild. <laughs> crazy. I mean, I, um, I think probably you have to have a lot of turmeric lattes for it to have, uh, you know, some profound effect. But I mean, it's, it's a starting point, isn't it? I mean... Um, people are curious uh, at, at alternative um, um, medicines, you know, and, and ways of, of feeling better. And so, so yes, even here in Edinburgh, <laughs> we've got them. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I'll just say this. I mean, most pharmaceutical drugs that we take as prescription medications, many of their origins are in the plant kingdom. So plants provide these compounds, which are starting points for drug discovery and pharmaceutical drug development. So really, when you look at a lot of medicine, whether it's traditional medical sort of pharmaceuticals or alternative, the plants really seem to be the source of a lot of the magic. So yeah, I just wanted to say that it's not that different really if you think of medicine as a whole. No, I mean, I guess that the, the medical, the business, it's so big, it's so wide. Right. Things that they put together, I guess it, it's bigger and quicker. But if we, if we take our time and do our research and look into it, there's a lot we can do kind of from the plant, from the plant kingdom. Absolutely. Spice Spice Baby. So you have a platform, but you also, um, you have written a cookbook so called Spice Spice Baby Cookbook. Yeah. So I, I wrote a book called Spice Spice Baby, which I really think of as a spice resource plus a cookbook. So the first 50 pages are dedicated to helping people understand the health benefits of spices as evidenced by modern science. And then the rest of the book is sort of what to do with it now in your kitchen. 
Oh, amazing. I mean, I think I, I try to look for it here in the UK. So for our UK listeners, I, there isn't any way of getting a hold of it right now. But for our American listeners and Canadian listeners, you can get it on the Amazon or probably other outlets there. You can get it at spicebicebaby.com. And there's actually a discount code spicy love on at the moment, which gives you 10% off plus free shipping for any listeners. Amazing. So all this... You know, you have a busy life. You're a mom. You got your own business and all that. What led you? How? What led you to signing up to the One Year No Beer Challenge? So how did you find us? How did you come across us? And what led you to kind of uh, searching for us, if you like? Yeah, I love it. Let's get to the really good stuff, right? So, you know, um, I consider myself a health and wellness educator and really a health and wellness warrior. I'm really passionate about helping people find their best self and unleash sort of health and vitality. But the reality was that I myself, I'm not even, I mean, I'm not going to say I had a drinking problem, but I'm going to say that I started drinking alcohol very, very young, like as a teenager probably not that atypical. So kind of in high school and then in college, you know, I grew up seeing alcohol as a source of relaxation for my dad. He's incredibly healthy and well-balanced and was very moderate with his alcohol, but he would come home from work, have, you know, a whiskey on the rocks or whatever. And in my mind, that just became integrated with this idea of I've had a long day. This is my way of unwinding and relaxing. And I guess I took that with me into my adulthood. So I started drinking. I mean, I don't know how much I was relaxing from it. I was a typical college student, probably, you know, drinking, partying on the weekends. What was that? Sorry. That's what we do, right? Because that's, you've seen that that's what people usually do. So that's right. Right. So nothing out of the ordinary. I was a very good student. I was highly functioning. I was dedicated to school, but I would go out on the weekends and I would drink. And I really liked the taste of alcohol. I liked the way it made me feel. It made me feel relaxed, uninhibited, all those things, right? And then I continued in grad school and I started drinking wine regularly. So I would work in a lab, I would do research, I would come home and I would have a glass of wine, sometimes two. I thought nothing of it. I never thought it was a sort of something that was inhibiting my health or my vitality. In fact, back then in the kind of like early 2000s, there was still this idea that a glass of wine a day is good for you. It will help you live longer. You know, it's very French. It's very European. It's very cool. It's sophisticated. So all of these associations were very, very front and center in my mind. And I really thought I was like a very healthy person. And then I guess, you know, as I went deeper into this work as a health coach, as a health educator in my 30s, I became a mom. Perhaps it was a, also a function of just getting older, wiser, my body becoming more sensitive to things, me becoming more connected to what my body was telling me. I really started to feel like this. I'm just going to call it like addiction to moderate drinking of wine wasn't necessarily serving my highest health goals. And I actually came across One Year No Beer because I listened to a podcast by Rich Roll. Um, it's an amazing podcast. And I believe one of your founders, Andy, was on there. And he was talking about, you know, his journey sounded really similar to mine. I mean, he loved wine. He worked. He went out for dinner. He had wine. I mean, it was nothing like maybe sometimes a little bit too much, but he was still a very highly functioning member of society. And this idea that we can be addicted to things that aren't serving our highest health, even in moderation, I think really stuck with me. And that there may be an opportunity to grow even further in our health journey, in our journey of self-mastery, really, 
if we take an honest look at some of these addictions. And um, so it just planted a seed again for me, like, oh, one year, no beer. Interesting. It's a program that helps people who aren't necessarily alcoholics. That is a real issue. And there are, you know, there's a lot of support for that group of people. But what about people like me who feel the need to have that glass of wine after a stressful day, or if my kids are driving me nuts, or I'm out for a celebration? What if I could do some sort of program that allows me to just create some space from this habit that has become so ingrained that I don't even think about it, but that the research tells me has some detrimental consequences on my health. So that was really how I came to One Year No Beer. Amazing. And you did the 90-day, just put it out there to remember, um, you did the 90-day Yeah, I did the 90 day challenge. You know, there were enough occasions where I had a little bit too much wine. So I was pretty moderate, but there would be like the weekend dinner out. And suddenly it was not just one or two glasses. It was like, oh, four glasses. And then my sleep was completely shot. I woke up foggy headed and it was like half a day was wasted. Three fourths of a day was wasted. And it would happen often enough that I remember somebody asked me a question. What was the one thing that you think you could completely give up that would completely transform your health and your life? What would that one thing be? Okay. And I had given up so many things already. I had given up sugar. I had given up processed food. I was eating really healthfully. I was exercising. I was meditating. And it was like alcohol, alcohol. And the idea of giving it up was so scary. I knew I had to do it. I was like, you know, the fact that it is so scary means I have to do it. So I think there was like a four month lag between when I listened to Andy on the Ritual podcast and when I signed up for the 90 day challenge, but I did. <laughs> that's amazing. And what you said that that's what a lot of people, a lot of feedback we get from our members is that it's such a scary idea that I, what am I going to do? Like it, it's what people do. What am I going to do? What are my friends going to say? Well, everyone gets the word because it's so deeply ingrained in, in our DNA. Cause that's what we've seen. you know, like you said yourself growing up, that's what people did to relax or unwind or mommy time and all that stuff. Um, but then it's, it's taken that leap. You know, what we always say is that what if, what if you could feel amazing, you know? Um, yeah. So, and yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. And you took that leap of faith, and 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 you enjoyed it. I mean, and would you say you feel you transformed your relationship um, with alcohol long term after having that break and and you know getting some space? Five hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I would love to just share a few things about why um, the research led me to sign up for this challenge. Right. So. Alcohol affects women and men differently. It affects everyone somewhat detrimentally, depending on what your relationship with it is and how often you drink and how much you drink and what you drink and whatnot. But it is really something that women need to look at closely. So alcohol affects a woman's ability to detoxify estrogen. We need estrogen, but when we have too much of estrogen, it can be a negative thing particularly in the context of breast cancer and other hormone-dependent cancers. So people may have seen, you know, studies saying alcohol increases cancer risk, and that's why it does that, because it inhibits our body's ability to detoxify estrogen. So, you know, I'm, I'm 40 now, and I have friends who have been diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer, um, early-onset breast cancer, and it's, I've, I've just started to think about things that increase my risk or decrease my risk. So, I couldn't be a health educator and not pay attention to the fact that regular, even moderate alcohol consumption was increasing my risk for breast cancer. So that's one. 
The second is, you know, interestingly, if you take the population and you put them into two groups, you know, some people are very strong responders to the beneficial or relaxation or happy effects of alcohol, right? Whereas some people are genetically programmed to kind of not care less, which is why some people tend to become addicted even moderately to alcohol and some people don't. And I can say that I am a strong responder. I really am drawn to the seductive power of something like a glass of wine to help me unwind, feel less anxious, take the edge off, all that good stuff. But there's a cost, right? And the cost is, like I mentioned, things like increased risk for breast cancer. Also, women who are drawn to alcohol, like me, who are genetically maybe more susceptible to the kind of high reward factor of alcohol, we also, it's like this interesting circular thing that happens with estrogen. So especially in the second half of our female cycle, when estrogen is elevated, we're actually more seduced by alcohol. So not only is it preventing our body from detoxifying estrogen efficiently, but the estrogen that's accumulating is then making the alcohol more irresistible. So you get stuck in this loop. And that's why many women will say, oh, I'm PMS and I really want a glass of wine and chocolate. You know, there is actually a biochemical kind of underpinning to that. I wanted to break myself free of this kind of cycle. I just wanted to see how I feel when I'm like not in the clutches of that addictive cycle. So that was a big motivation for me. Also, and many of your members, I'm sure experience this, you know, you lose weight when you stop drinking and it's not just the calories, right? So obviously alcohol has sugar, it has excess calories, you cut those out, you lose some weight, it's great. But alcohol affects your body's ability to break down carbohydrates and fats. And so when your liver is sort of busy detoxifying alcohol, it's not able to do its normal metabolic functioning as optimally, which is why then people start to say, oh, I have all this energy. Like I feel you know, just so refreshed and like ready to go. There's, there's biochemical reasons for that. And I knew all that in theory, but you know, addiction, even in moderation is a really interesting thing. It will tell you all kinds of stories as to why you shouldn't stop the thing that you're addicted to. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I sort of went on this tangent, but you know, there are some really powerful reasons to get out of your comfort zone do the scary thing and take the break, especially if you're someone that has never taken a break. I had never taken a break from alcohol since I was 18 years old, except for the two times I was pregnant. Mm. Yeah, to be honest, that sounds a lot like me. I, I was the same. And for a long time, I had the same. I, and, you know, I, I would say uh, I wasn't addicted, but I, I had that little devil in me. I, if I liked the way it made me feel, you know, all that. So it was so easy for me to reach. It wasn't until I completely changed my mindset and realize the benefits of it, um, that, you know, now I've completely broken that, that bond. It doesn't really have that stronghold, but I remember for a long time, it really had that stronghold. Um, and it can be very hard to break out of that, but once you start make, um, you know, dissecting and putting down your whys, why are you interested? Why are you looking to break this, this, uh, this vicious circle of, of drinking? For me, it was health. I want to be an amazing, healthy mom. I want to be an amazing, healthy grandma eventually, you know. Um, and also, as we get older, we, 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 you know, it's a bigger risk to get ill. And, and like yourself, like you, you know, what you said about the whole cancer, that I mean, all that kind of comes into your mind. You're like, well, I'm going to do everything I can to be healthy. I want to be all these things, right? So that can be enough of a why. 
you know. Absolutely. And sleep, you know, the last thing I wanted to say is we have a lot of research suggesting alcohol affects our ability to sleep well, the quality of our sleep, the quantity of our sleep, our ability to get into REM sleep, all of these deeply restorative sleep um, phases. And so, yeah, for so many reasons, if you want to be your best self from a health perspective, it's really hard to reconcile that with regular alcohol consumption. Unless, I don't know, you live in Sardinia and you drink like half a glass of Kanuna wine every day, which they happen to do with a very disciplined. Most people drinking alcohol regularly are not drinking half a glass of wine a day. Let's be honest. No, absolutely not. That's, the thing is, some people, some people are just fine with all this. They're just happy to have a glass of wine and they don't need us, for example. They, don't, they, they might not want to be interested, in, you know, want to hear what we're doing. But right. anyone who drinks kind of regularly and kind of has that, what if, and could I feel better? Or, you know, I want to prevent, you know, prevention is a big thing. People, people tend to think that, oh, well, I have, you know, you don't need to stop drinking or have a break until you actually come, you know, get into trouble or have problems, but you don't have to uh, have an alcohol problem for it to cause problem in your life, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's, it's so I think people should be brave and just take that chance, leap of faith and go, hang on. And I feel better. And that's why it's so interesting to hear from yourself, who is edu- so educated um, within, you know, the, the health field and stuff, to hear it from you. And, and hearing about this, that's just amazing. amazing. I mean, uh, that's, that's part of the information that I, I never thought of actually. So, yeah, I think, you know, because like you said, we, I mean, the the society doesn't talk about these things. We still glorify drinking um, in some, to some sense, even despite the headlines that say like no amount of alcohol is safe and alcohol increases cancer risk. We still think it's totally acceptable. It's the most acceptable legal drug out there. But then you, because then people say, well, hang on a minute. I just read this article that said that it's good for you. It's actually good for you. You should drink, you know, X amount of wine because of this reason or have a beer because of this reason. It's good for your hair or it's good for your heart. I mean, because you're always going to find that there's always going to be another side battling to kind of be like, we, you know, we can't look bad. We need to make it look good. Someone, you know, throw a study left or right. So like looking into it generally isn't good for you, especially in, if you have an unhealthy relationship with it, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think there were some studies that showed moderate alcohol consumption resulted in longevity. But now when people have looked back at like in a meta-analysis format, a meta-analysis is where you look at lots of different studies. So it's like a study of studies. And when people did this kind of meta-analysis, what they found was that alcohol conferred no health benefit. Um, So that's just the scientific truth. I mean, you'll always find small studies that say, oh, you know, association studies or observational studies that say, oh, some amount of drinking results in, I don't know, like reduced heart attack risk. Um, That's all been debunked. Now, I will say this, like eating sugar is not the best thing, but does that mean I never eat sugar? No, I do. So I think there is a place um, for very mindful, moderate alcohol consumption because it brings you genuine joy, because it helps you connect to people. I mean, there are longevity enjoying cultures in the world. Like I mentioned, the Sardinians, the Greek, um, Icarians in Greece, these are the blue zones that have been studied very extensively by Dan Buettner. And um, 
you know, they do enjoy moderate alcohol consumption, particularly red wine on a daily basis, but you have to put it into context. Their life is very different than our life. They are extremely physically active. Their stress level is low. They have a very strong sense of community. When they drink that glass of Kanana wine, they are sitting with friends and family over a very nourishing whole food plant-based meal. They're not at the pub pounding, you know, pints. I mean, it's very different. So it is, It's all about context. And I do think in the context of a very healthy life, mindful, moderate alcohol could be an acceptable risk that people want to take. I still think it's adding risk. So it's up to you. Like I eat a donut once in a while because I'm okay with that risk because I'm mitigating that risk in many different ways. In the same way, now that I'm done with the one year no beer challenge, I am drinking wine again, much, much more mindfully, much, much less than before. And I'm okay with the risk that that confers in my life. But to say that it's good for me is just cherry picking the science. I think the science clearly says there really is no benefit, probably. No. No, and like you say, it's it's. Everyone says when you know everything in moderation is great, and and I kind of, I mean, I eat healthy, I train, but then I also, you know, dip into the chocolate at the weekend because I'm like, I, I fancy treating myself, and and I take that. It's no, it's no big deal, um, right? So, so, and I don't, you know, but for me, alcohol just doesn't do much for me anymore. It, it used to have a big part of my life. Now it doesn't really because I've swapped it for something else. I, you know, I train, I compete, I run, but but. Um, for people who are who are able to go back and moderate, it's great. You know, they've achieved you know the goal coming you know through our challenges. Especially, you know, we we encourage people like to to you know explore themselves. We're not telling them like you're doing our challenges and that's it. You know, people come in to do our challenges for various reasons. Most of people who do our challenges end up going. Actually, I don't need that in my life because people right. found us. They really needed to find us, and so they've achieved something that for them, it would be detrimental, a waste of time for themselves to go back to them that. But some people go on to moderate successfully. And so everyone needs to make their own choice because at the end of the day, it's up to you, right? It's up to you. Yeah. Your life. But um, at least you're taking these steps kind of towards finding a good, healthy balance. You know, let's be honest. No one can live a completely healthy life, whether you have right. you're a vegetarian or vegan or whatever you might be or drinking or not drinking or not sugar, sugar, there's going to be an imbalance somewhere, but because that, that is the world, but it's up to you to find that good balance. But I mean, I guess the most important thing is try eliminating things that is actually wearing you down. In yes. Absolutely. You know, I will say that even moderation is work for somebody like myself who drank for, you know, two plus decades without mindfulness. The one year no beer challenge really gave me a lot of tools around mindfulness and awareness. And now that I've gone back to moderate mindful drinking, it's constant work. It's vigilance. It's actually easier to be completely abstinent. Um, it's more work, but it's worth the work to me because I genuinely do love the taste of red wine, for example. And I'm willing to do the work to allow some room for it in my life. But I'm also very aware of how it can be a very slippery slope for someone like me. So I still go back to some of the modules and the videos from the challenge and some of the tips that I learned um, and the other thing I've realized is taking breaks from alcohol, whether it's a 10-day break, whether it's another 30-day challenge, is really, really powerful as well. It's like people who are addicted to sugar, you know, um, 
there's a huge benefit and there's a biochemical reason why it works. When you drink alcohol, your brain perceives it as a pleasurable substance and you release dopamine, right? And that's why it feels so good. And the more you drink, the more dopamine you release. And that might sound like a good thing and a happy thing. But what then happens is your dopamine receptors, which are these proteins that bind to dopamine, they get down-regulated, which means they kind of reduce in number. So now things that normally would make you feel happy and spike dopamine, like a hug from your kids or a beautiful sunrise, actually have a less uh, rewarding effect. And so I don't know if your, your um, you know, one-year-no-beer challengers find this, but what I found is once I had cut away the alcohol for 10 or 15 days, everything started to look brighter and happier. Small things seemed much more extraordinary. And that's not just your imagination. It's because when you take away the substance that is constantly promoting a dopamine rush, you now give your dopamine receptors a chance to kind of come back. And so now small things become much more pleasurable. And this was actually one of the most beautiful things I experienced. Um, you know, I just started to feel happier at baseline, if that makes sense. And if people have found that, that's probably the biochemical reason for why that's happening. You need to give it a few weeks. Yeah. Some people say 30 days minimum. I really started to feel it within sort of two weeks. Um, but that's why taking a break from these things that are highly rewarding is really important because you don't want to become reliant on that for happiness. There are so many sources of happiness in our daily lives if we're sensitive enough to pick them up. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting insight, um, especially what you're saying that thing, things you know lit up and felt a bit lighter. But I think in general, positivity, you know, you get that cloud cleared from your mind and you start yeah. seeing like, hang on a minute, what have I been missing out on? You know, that's how I felt. So I, I can totally relate to that. Yeah, and something your program talks about a lot, which I really appreciated, was this idea of how alcohol becomes a crutch. Even a one glass of wine, two glasses of wine can become an emotional crutch. And when you take that crutch away, you're forced at first, and it can feel very uncomfortable to find this inner resilience, right? This inner strength. So your kids are, you know, it's everyone's melting down. It's witching hour. It's like dinner hour. And normally you would have the glass of wine to take the edge off. Now you don't have the glass of wine. So what do you do? Suddenly you're like, you know, you learn to lean into the chaos. You learn to be more present. You learn to connect with your kids rather than kind of zoning out with the wine. Um, I just found that I was able to discover this inner resiliency that had been kind of, I don't know, sidelined because I had this crutch. Of course. Because and that's a really empowering thing. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I interrupted you there, but I've heard that for so many people. They said, you know, when it came to that wine o'clock or mummy wine time or whatever they called it, all they could focus for a couple of hours was just, you know, that was the end goal. That was like the, the, the reward, you know, the, the, that, that glass of wine. And that literally, that was all they could focus on. And then once they had that wine or whatever drink of choice, that's all they cared about. And, and it, yeah, after that, nothing else matters. It was just there and it felt good. So it became more than just like a glass of wine. It became hours of obsessing about yes. what it really isn't. Um, yeah, and that's the thing about addiction, even moderate addiction, right? So, I mean, of course, addiction is a spectrum. And I don't mean to, you know, I mean, we all, we're at different levels on that spectrum. Some might not think they're addicted to even moderate drinking. I would say I was because the fact that I was afraid to give it up suggests that I was addicted. 
Um, the thing about addiction is at some point it becomes less about the pleasure and more about the sort of chasing the high, right? And so the anticipation of that wine o'clock or mommy wine moment is so all-consuming it's really hard to to accommodate that and also be 100% present with yourself and your children. And so when you take away that option, suddenly it's like all you're left with is pure presence. And it is really the biggest gift. Um, and now that I experienced it because of the 90-day challenge, I can sense when I'm when I need it again. And then I'll just give myself like, I'll make up arbitrary rules. Like, you know what? I'm not drinking for 10 days now because you know, the weekend happened and maybe we went out to dinner and like I had a little bit extra. So now I'm just going to take a complete break. Or I also created structures for myself, like no wine on weekdays. So I pretty much don't drink on weekdays now with my kids. I want to be super present with them. I try to drink as part of a celebration where other people are drinking and it's a community thing. I'm very, you know, so like I said, it's vigilance, it's mindfulness, and I'm just super appreciative for the challenge and the program that you guys have created for sort of moderate drinkers like myself, where I wouldn't really know where to turn for help because I'm not, you know, the classical kind of addicted alcoholic. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that we've provided that. And, and that's just amazing to hear um, because... I guess also what you have, what you, well, I'm not talking for you, but what you've discovered is that, you know, you've transformed your relationship and you know now you have a choice. You can just say, I choose to drink or I choose to not drink. So I'm, I'm choosing not to drink for 10 days now because I, ha- I, I, ha- I myself, no one else, nothing else has the power. I choose. Nothing else matters. And you're making that choice of like, now I'm choosing to have a little drink or now I'm choosing to have a little break because you have managed to achieve that and and that's what more can you ask for right it's amazing thank you and thank you guys for the program really um it's been completely transformational for me to hear and it's like i said it's so good to have a OMB member who is also so um so educated and so qualified to answer and, and educate us all of this on, on the say, so with all your experience and everything, what was your biggest realization, you know, as part of, you know, the members being part of the, the, the members area, you know, the Facebook group or Slack group, wherever you were involved in, like what, what was your experience there? Like what, tell us a little bit of what, what was your biggest realization in there um, with all these people? You know, we have people from all over the world. Um Yeah, that we are all human, we're all imperfectly perfect, and we all struggle with very similar demons, you know. So I found a lot of um, comfort and reassurance in the group. Um, Obviously, people at different levels, but everybody's struggling to kind of break free of this crutch that had just been there for so long, and everybody being very brave and fearless and really going out of their comfort zone to kind of transform themselves to really see what they're capable of. So I found the stories that were shared on the Facebook group to be just so powerful, so motivating, um, so inspiring when, you know, I had, I had a couple, I had, I had one. So I found the challenge overall, the first 28 days I really found to be the, the most transformational Um, in a sense, because it's when like lots of things started to happen. I think at a molecular level, like, you know, I was saying earlier, we were talking about like things started to just look brighter and more exciting. And um, I realized I could do it. I found this inner strength. 
But I had this one moment where I was doing a work event and I was teaching this cooking kind of educational class. And I, it was my first big event since I embarked on the challenge. And I realized how much I used that glass of wine to take the edge off when I was like super anxious about being in front of people and sharing or talking or teaching. But I didn't cave. I didn't do it. And I really found the Facebook group to be so, so helpful on that particular day. I remember I literally went into the group and I said, I need some help today because the old habitual patterns are rearing their ugly head, you know, and I just really don't want to succumb. Um, and then the other thing I will say is... Um, while I do think the 28 days is really helpful, there is something incredibly powerful about going longer. Mm. And I think there's a lot of research that suggests when you're trying to break a habit loop, there is something very powerful about 90 days. And I'm, maybe that's why you guys did the 90 day as an option. Um, 28 days is great to get started, to get confident, to know you can do it. But like 90 days is really where something magical happens in terms of those habit loops getting rewired where you kind of can take control in the driver's seat versus the habit loop being in charge. And so, yeah, I think for me, the realizations were I'm not alone. There's a lot of support out there and it's really worth doing the 90 day challenge um, to really kind of cut through some of these habituated behavioral tendencies. Yeah, that's good. That, that's usually, that's kind of what we say as well as people who ask us, the 90 days is really where the magic does happen. And 28, 28 days is great. And it's a great way to kind of start because you start, like you say yourself, you started feeling the benefits, you know, quite early on. Um, but then the profound changes tend to happen kind of when you do the 90 day challenge. Um, so that's just amazing. So what would your tips be to um, members who are listening to this podcast now who, you know, who might be on the challenge, they might have reset their challenge, they might be struggling, and they might feel like this is the biggest um, Mount Everest they've ever seen. Um, any tips for them? Yeah. <laughs> It's hard when you embark, the mind will tell you all kinds of stories about why this is such a bad idea and so scary and not worth it. You know, I, I'm going to share a tip that I got from the addiction recovery world, which is, um, you know, when you think about um, addiction, and I'm using it loosely, but even like addicted addiction to regular alcohol consumption, which is why it's scary to give it up for 90 days, for example, you know, that addictive tendency is a part of you, but it's not you, right? So it's a part of your brain. It's a part of your neuronal network, your neurons, your mental wiring, but it's not you. You are bigger than that. You are this kind of observer, your consciousness, whatever you want to call it, right? Now, if you realize that that addictive loop or that addictive wiring, it's literally there because it seeks momentary pleasure. And it's decided that its source of momentary pleasure is a drink. It's going to do everything in its power to make sure it gets that hit of momentary pleasure. But ultimately, once you see it as just a part of you, but not you, you have a lot of power. You have a lot more power than you think. And you can actually talk to this part of you. And people, have, people do that in the addiction recovery world, right? So they will say, okay, so you almost can call it like your little like wine dragon or wine, whatever demon, or, you know, give it a sweet name, make it your pet. I don't know. You don't have to hate it and try to like shove it to the side. You just have to see it for what it is. It's a habit loop. It's a neuronal network. It's brain circuitry that just seeks pleasure and it will do anything 
to get that momentary hit, even if it's against your best interest in the long run, whether it comes to your health, productivity, happiness, whatever. Once you see for that what it is, you talk to it and you're like, listen, I know you really like to drink (laughs) and you really want me to drink so you can get your hit. But, you know, we're going to take a bit of a break. We're going to see what happens. And the, the wine dragon is going to say, oh, but that is like so unnecessary. Like, you know, wine is going to tell you every, th- every story in the book to get you to not do this thing that you know you need to do for your transformation. And so you tell it, well, if you think you have so much power, you know, go ahead and move my pinky finger. And you'll realize that it's just this pleasure-seeking, slightly gone rogue habit loop in your brain. And actually, you are really the one in charge. And I think when you see it that way, it just takes away a lot of its power. And you do this thing. I I mean, my biggest tips would be curiosity, like enter the challenge with curiosity and open mind, no judgment. The program is designed to accommodate quote unquote slip ups. So you happen to have the, you know, the glass of champagne at a wedding, you feel bad, whatever, like you, you could reset, you don't have to reset. Like, I love that. That's a part of the program. The idea isn't to make it like Z, you know, nothing or everything. It's about transforming your relationship. And I think the videos are so, you know, short and to the point and powerful and impactful with these tangible tips, like surfing the urge. Like I love that video, like about the wave, Um, So my tips would be just go into it with a curious mindset, you know, anything, anytime you want to transform yourself, you're going to face resistance, internal resistance in a very powerful way from your wine dragon, your, your gin dragon, whatever it is. Um, But we all know we're here because we know something has to change. Mm. And so I think you just go into it, knowing you're imperfectly perfect, knowing that there is something really powerful on the other side. And just enjoying the discomfort of the journey, which will ultimately transform into this just insane amount of like empowered self-resilience that you can then take into so many different aspects of your life. Amazing. That is- and I will say just a, a very tangible tip that worked for me is I realized for me so much of that wine o'clock mommy wine moment had to do with self-care and this idea of like taking care of myself and rituals. So now I have a really nice glass. I pour sparkling water into it, a squeeze of lime, and it feels like my moment. I play some jazz. You know, sometimes it's really not about the wine. It's about giving yourself space, holding space for yourself. You can do that in so many beautiful ways. I agree 100%. That's my thing. People go, so, so what, do you, what do you drink now that you don't drink alcohol? My, honestly, my favorite thing is uh, my sparkling water. Uh, I, I make my own sparkling water at home, so, and I make at home, and I make it really fizzy, so it like almost tingles my nose. Uh, and I put lime in it in a nice glass, and it's the celebration of it. If anything, I feel like I'm treating myself, you know. And it's not what what's inside; it's about I'm having that moment, it's me, my moment. I'm doing something nice for myself. It's making me feel good. So, so that that's the thing. Try change this. If this was the, your way of rewarding yourself, what can you do to reward yourself? So that's a good tip. Yeah. Self-care is is so important. So replace it. What is it? Smelly candles, whatever it might be. Yeah. And you know, the level of connection that comes when you're 100% present and not distracted by the wine or the next glass or whatever, 
present with your kids present like the, the the deep connection i think anytime you have a small win like that as part of the challenge where you go to dinner you don't drink the wine you drink the sparkling water and you just have a deep conversation with the person you're having dinner with right, yeah. that you haven't had before when you were just sort of zoned out or tuned out that is such a powerful win so i kept leaning into those moments and really using them as fuel to keep going yeah amazing love that Wow. Well, Kanchan, I mean, it, this has been amazing. I, I feel like I could sit here and chat to you for another couple of hours, to be honest. <laughs> oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. You know, I just feel so strongly about the fact, especially, and, you know, we're moms. I really see a lot of moms in my health coaching practice um, as part of my platform and the education work that I do. Yeah. Um, and I really do think these crutches have become a thing. And, I don't want to make them bad. And like I said, if you know you can have a, a mindful relationship with wine, go for it. But for many people, it's no longer mindful and there are detrimental consequences to health. And so I really was passionate about helping more people realize there were programs like One Year No Beer, the power of taking a challenge, the power of taking a break, recalibrating your relationship, reestablishing your relationship with alcohol, maybe just deciding it doesn't serve a purpose in your life at all. So thank you for the opportunity to share my experience. So I, I have so much to take away from this conversation with you. But the one thing that I knew before, but that really has highlighted this whole thing, uh, the word of the day for me is self-care. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that is what this is all about, self-care. Are you doing your absolute best to feel the best you can? And I'm not talking about having a square of chocolate or, you know, cheeky chocolate. But in general, are you working towards the best self, yourself, no one else, you know, being and feeling the very best you can? Self-care is so important. I think we, we can never be reminded about that too many times. That's amazing. Yep, indeed. And so um, before we, we hang up on each other here, I would like to highlight uh, your website. Your, your website is spicebicebaby.com. Yes, it's spicebicebaby.com where you can get the book. Like I said, if you use the code SPICYLOVE in the US, it's free shipping and it's 10% off. Oh, wow. And then I also recently launched a podcast called Mom Light, which is all about helping moms find more health, vitality, vibrancy, despite the challenges of mom life that's on iTunes and everywhere you listen to podcasts. And then finally, I run health coaching programs, digital virtual health coaching programs, working with mothers around the world and some non-mothers, mostly women, helping them find their healthiest, most vitality-fueled self. And we do act I do actually recommend the One Year No Beer Challenge as part of that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so lots of exciting stuff going on. And also, for those who like a bit of uh, Instagram and food inspiration, check out her Instagram page, which is Chief Spice Mama. And I tell you what, I dare you to look at her Instagram page and not salivate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm such a foodie. I'm, you know, I, all the parts of my brain that respond to food reward, wine reward, they are like alive and well. So I decided to channel all that towards healthy, delicious food. I was actually looking at just, I think last night, I was just doing some research. This is what I do right before bedtime. I don't know why, but yeah, I like to look into my day, you know, what's coming ahead tomorrow. And I looked at your Instagram and I was, I got so hungry and I was going to bed. I was like, no. 
the vegetarian, there was so much to choose from. So, and yes, very plant forward recipes. And for those who use Twitter, you the your Twitter profile is K K, uh, K Koya. Yes, K K O Y A. My first initial and my last name. Amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. And um, I, I would love to touch base with you a bit further ahead. And, and I'd love to reach out to you whenever I need some good, good uh, qualified intel on, on what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And some things because we, we, we do, um, we do talk so much about the, the, the general health, which is, you know, um, so important. So I will definitely reach back, reach reach out to you again um, to touch base. Anytime. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate it so much. And we'll speak soon. Okay. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening to the One Year No Beer podcast. For a full list of episodes and to join in the challenge yourself, head on over to oneyearnobeer.com. .com Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.